welcome to A Teaspoon of Healing. I'm your host, Dawn Damari. Hi, I'm Dawn Damari, and you're listening to another episode of A Teaspoon of Healing podcast. Today, my guest is Carlin Nurajanyan. He's the Chief Executive Officer of Student Lunchbox. Hi, Carlin. Hi, Dawn. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. The pleasure is mine. So today we will talk a little bit about food insecurity and how that affects college students in particular and what Student Lunchbox is doing to help. And among the many social determinants of health, food insecurity, it has one of the most significant impacts on people's overall health. And a lot of people don't know what that is. So I guess I'll ask you, so what is food insecurity? Um, The food insecurity um, defined by USDA is when people worry that we'll run out of food before they get more money to purchase more food. And the other determinant is the uh, food that they purchased wouldn't last throughout the week or the day. So, and they wouldn't have enough money to purchase food. And lastly, they simply cannot afford to purchase balanced meals. You know, the balanced meals include breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So they would rely on snacks. I would say, I, I personally say the pauses within a day. And when it comes to college food insecurity, I personally add other elements that would define food insecurity as a whole is when students skip meals to have enough for dinner, for example, or they take naps to avoid the rumble and they kind of prioritize books and other expenses though. So they would skip multiple meals to rely on just snacks so they can afford for example, books or rent or anything you may think of once they're in college. Well, thank you for defining that for our listeners. And it's interesting that you mentioned snacks. So oftentimes people will turn to snacks Mm -hmm. because they're concerned about not being able to afford food and we can discuss that. But first of all, I wanted to ask, do you know what is the approximate rate of food insecurity in the United States? Um, the number shifts. Um, I know when, uh, specifically when it comes to college students, especially um, in the um, LA County, based on our numbers, since we work with different universities, each university uh, estimates their own numbers when it comes to uh, food insecurity among college students. And recent statistics, just let me be clear about one uh, element that everyone asks about college food insecurity is that it's impossible to measure. Okay. The reason is because a lot of students would not participate in any surveys. And that is because of the stigma, you know, because of students just don't want to talk about how the poverty affects their lives. So based on the universities that I work with, uh, it's about 63%. The students, they cannot afford the balanced meals they were talking about. And they turn into the food pantries. And we are their supporters. Uh, to provide anything that they, they lack in their daily nutrition. Okay. It's, it's, it's significant. Oh, it's, like it's, one in three college students. I was about to yeah. say that <laughs> is a very large number. And a lot of people are not aware of this. And, you know, they there's terms, you know, you think you hear about, you know, college students and eating ramen. That's all, you know, they'll mention that. But, I mean, it is it is really true. It is really true. 
but it's, there's just not a lot of awareness about that. So how does food insecurity affect the lives, the health of students? Um, specifically, you know, if you're in school, mm-hmm. your academic performance. Right. So how does it affect, does it have an effect on their academic performance? I'm assuming it does. Absolutely. <laughs> so I would just take an example as myself and my peers while we were in college. The issue with academic performance is directly linked to a basic need, right? Um, if the person does not have that first element, which is food, is going to affect everything else in their lives. So a lot of students who uh, fail to provide sustenance for themselves, they just quit. I was on the verge of quitting college when I was attending Santa Monica College in the way that I had bills, I had family to take care of. And the, the thing that you turn into is full-time job because you can't really do both. But then I pushed myself. I was a full-time and student and a full-time employee. So you kind of have to balance between the two. However, a lot of students, they are in certain majors that you cannot really work, Mm -hmm. like science, medicine, Mm -hmm. dentistry, right? So imagine a student does not have the food and they cannot work. I just cannot see them them succeed in, in academia. Part of the reason is that they can't really focus, Um, especially the ones who rely on breakfast. I personally am a breakfast person. I have to have my breakfast. And if you have nothing for breakfast, you don't give that extra energy to your brain to function. And then it lasts throughout the day. And same goes for lunch. Yeah, you can go through uh, vending machines where you can get nuts or you can get um, pistachios or anything that is simple. But at at the end of the day, you don't have the enough calories that you need to support your body. You don't have enough protein and your health downgrades slowly, but surely. So understanding the factor that of uh, basic needs, this is how the universities came out with the basic needs departments. Um, that's what we work with. The basic needs department supplies, supports universities and colleges and even private universities. Now I'll go into the details later. They open up a program where they partner for with organizations like us to provide the first need, which is food. And then a second need is shelter. So with this partnerships, we're trying to make sure that students are provided with whatever they need, whatever they can obtain from the food pantry to make sure their um, level of focus and concentration is intact, you know, so they can pursue and finally graduate. That's our, that's our mission. That's our vision. We want to have lower dropout rates and have more graduation rates to be increased. Wonderful. And you brought up some really good points that some majors, it's very difficult to work and they actually restrict you from working. Yeah. And it's very difficult. And when you have a full-time job, like you had a full-time student and a full-time job, it's you're burning the candle at both ends and something <laughs> has to give. So it, it really makes sense that I was wondering about the cost of housing. You know, it's really gone up, especially in the last few years, very dramatically. People mm-hmm. and students are spending so much on housing. And I'm assuming that doesn't leave as much for food. So do some of the students you talk to mention that? Housing has been always an issue, not only when students rent their own apartments with roommates, right? But also Mm -hmm. the university housing. It comes out of your financial aid, which is a loan. No one will give you 
cash for housing. Mm-hmm. So, and then the debt occurs on top of whatever you already have. And um, a lot of students, I know that I've spoken with a few when we first started this organization, they were mentioning about $23 to $2,400 just for having housing, utilities taken care of, transportation. And especially in Los Angeles, we live in a, where we're, uh, in a place where companies that they build housing, supposedly affordable housing, it's always an opportunity for money. And not mm-hmm. considering the factor that you know, the student does not have that uh, financial means to pay for that. Uh, again, we'll go back to a different politics. It's a, it's a business model. It's been always like that. And the end goal is to generate revenue. I truly wish that universities and colleges or neighborhoods, you know, within the university campus had special housing for university and college students. Um, that would, of course, decrease the amount of money they spend on the rent. I mean, personally, I pay about when I when I was in, when I was in college, um, my rent. It was ten years ago. My rent was about nine hundred dollars, and I would make about thirteen hundred a month. <laughs> but then I was lucky. I uh, joined a co-op uh, co-op uh, in Westwood. I went to UCLA, and the co-op is, I believe, they're a nonprofit, or um, I'm not sure. But within the housing, it's a cooperative housing you live and they provide meals within. So there was just some sort of relief. I wish, truly wish there are other co-ops around Southern California, which would allow students to have that kind of opportunity. But, you know, again, there is no profit, not a lot of money coming in. So I don't think that would, that would really help in any way for um, investors to put in some money into. So again, it's, it's about politics. It's about funds, money, and everything revolves around money. And when you start a nonprofit, of course, it all revolves around the money too. Mm-hmm. But then you're becoming more more of a modest and understanding person. You know? So everything that you work for, it goes towards the mission. And I will tell you, it's it's really challenging to see the students in this situation and having such small operations, but such a mass need. And you always want to push for more. But at some point, you you have to take a break because nonprofits burn out too quick. It's, it's really challenging to meet everyone's needs. We we want to make sure that each school we work with get enough produce or enough groceries to help students go through the day or go through the week. And then when it comes to expansion and supporting more colleges, I'm wondering also you know, the pandemic, but I wanted to actually ask, and it's related to housing, food insecurity, everything mm-hmm. is, how did the COVID-19 or how does the COVID-19 pandemic affect food insecurity on campus and housing, just this this whole issue? I know there are supply chain issues as well with food. So has have you seen an effect with that as well? Yes. Student Lunchbox was launched <laughs> on the peak of pandemic. March 31st, we started building this organization. As of oh. June, yeah, June 31st, we applied for the incorporate for the articles of incorporations. And at the end of the year, we were approved by the IRS. Mm-hmm. So I did a lot of research. And I'm gonna tell you that there was no article available pre-pandemic 
addressing food insecurity among college students. Really? I have done so much. I even hired contractors to do this research because I thought I was doing something wrong. I could not find anything available. The pandemic happened. Universities closed. Colleges closed. Pantries closed. Everything was closed. No one had a job. And actually, the actual data of food insecurity in the United States in 2021 and the USDA shows 89%. So yeah, during the pandemic, as I mentioned The universities closed, colleges closed, and a lot of college campuses did not have food pantries on campus. So that leaves students with nothing. They cannot go anywhere. Well, the food banks were definitely open. The food banks were the main place where everyone, I'm sure you've seen the articles, miles long cars waiting for their turn. And students, in my view, A lot of students don't have cars. Food banks or food pantries, they're located a little farther from the university campuses. A lot of them have their own pantries that we work with, but many of them don't. So the students, in my perspective, would have had not that opportunity to, to be receiving sustenance from the food banks. I really, truly hope that during the pandemic, the the rescue plan assisted these students because my work and my mission depends on the university's active status. So if the university is open and they have a pantry on campus that we are ready for them to be supported. I would say California State University Long Beach, which we partnered first with, they were open throughout. And we started with them in 2021, September. And thankfully, this campus had an independent pantry within the university. So we were so we were very fortunate to bring them on board with Student Lunchbox to support their pantry, their operations with whatever we could get. Um, as, as, as you know, there was not a lot available during that time. Right. Mainly it would come from USDA, um, the funds distributed to the food banks, right? To purchase food or directly from the USDA. And everything was pricey. People could not afford because they did not have enough money. And looking at the data, 89%, that tells you exactly what happened during the pandemic. And 2020, it the peak of pandemic was April, March. So we did not really see the effects until the end of the year when Mm -hmm. layoffs started happening, the closures started happening. So the actual numbers would reflect the pandemic damages as the 2021. And then thanks to USDA, we had that number. And I'm sure most of my students there, we, the Student Lunchbox supports, were part of this percentage. It's unfortunate. I do get a lot of calls from independent students asking for food. So we try to accommodate accommodate them in any way. And Student Lunchbox is, in a way, it's mobile. You know, we don't have a specific location. I was going to ask you, so what, what programs do you have to help the college students? And so how are you organized yes. and, and operate? Well, Student Lunchbox started with one program. The first one is that we work with nonprofits that they secure food from different places, right? Unfortunately, I cannot mention in their names because I don't have the approval. But um, we are linked with grocery stores or we are linked with farmer's markets or bakers in the neighborhood. And then we collect whatever is not sold either at the end of the day or at the end of the week. Certain things, they last for a long time. 
we make sure we collect it at the end of the week so they can replenish their supply. And at the end of the week, we'll take that again. <laughs> so it's just like a cycle of cycle of goods that we get every week. So that first program supports college pantries specifically. They're on campus. You know, as you mentioned, as you've seen on my website, we have six of them yeah. that we work with. So what we do is we are the that middle person, the intermediator, <laughs> as you would put us, we connect food pantries with food donors. In the process, we provide logistics. Basically, schools do not need to do anything. All they need to do, they need to open up their uh, loading docks for us to deliver the produce. And then, of course, we provide volunteer support in case they need help with sorting the produce or um, shelving, you know. And that is the first program. It's been proven to be very successful in a way that a lot of colleges don't have the means, transportation, and of course the budgets to dedicate for this, uh, for the food pantries they have. So we built this logistics operations force for them, and then we make the distributions every week. The second program is for the universities. Oh, I forgot to mention, these universities they work with, they're 501c3. What that means is they're charitable distribute. They're they're under an umbrella of a charity, right? A tax exempt. So with them, it's very easy for us because we, as a donor, we just simply provide the produce to them, and they distribute on on their behalf or on our behalf. However, their universities they do not have five hundred one c three, which is the for for profit universities obtain their master's program in a for-profit university that costs twice as much as a public mm-hmm. university. So imagine the situation for these students. So we wanted to make sure that we break that barrier, you know, create a bridge to from student lunchbox to for-profit. For the universities that do not uphold 501c3, we designate them as a satellite distribution center. Okay. What that means is food donors... I'm talking about organizations to donate food to other organizations, you know, like the big uh, mom and pop. I call them um, mama bear, (laughs) for example, the food bank we work with. They give it to a smaller charities and the smaller charities are the direct link to the recipient. So since we work with larger organizations to receive the food, you need to have a 501c3. So a lot of universities do not have that. So Student Lunchbox assigns them to be a satellite distribution center, a partner pantry. So everything that goes uh, through the college comes through the Student Lunchbox's umbrella. We receive the food from Food Bank or we receive the food from other nonprofits and the university distributes them on behalf of Student Lunchbox. But the third one is the, the most fun one. Universities who have 501c3 or do not have 501c3, but they do not have the capacity or the pantry, we go to them. We bring our tents, we bring our tables, mm-hmm. and we bring our vehicle. With about, I would say each time we do that, we have over 4,000 pounds of food. And we go on campus. Uh, one of our partners that we support this way is Pierce College. So every other week, we do a pop-up uh, distribution. And we serve about 120 to 200 students and each time we have a pop-up. And everything that you know, the food that we have, fresh produce or groceries, at the end of the day, nothing is left. 
So we're really grateful to have this opportunity too. And we're grateful to the partnerships that we have with the universities because it's a little bit of a challenge to get on board with government entities or I would say the, the school districts to get a space on campus. So in summary, we have three programs. Two are similar, but you know there is this difference between 501c3 or non-501c3. And then of course, the produce table program we do on a pop-up basis. Well, thank you for sharing that. It sounds like you have some great programs, wonderful that, and you come to some of the colleges as well if they don't have a pantry. Mm. And I know from your website, you serve colleges and universities in Los Angeles County, and you mentioned Cal State Long Beach and Pierce College. Are there any other colleges that you serve? Yeah, we serve students within California State University, Los Angeles, uh, California State University, Northridge. It's not the Northridge uh, uh, CSUN's pantry, but it's a pantry on campus managed by Women's Research Center. Mm -hmm. So that's an organization, a small charitable organization that has a food pantry on campus. So we help them with everything that we can. Uh, We also work with the um, Cal State LA's housing department. Just recently, they opened up their own pantry. So we work with them as well. And we also work with Long Beach Community College. That is, um, I think the population they serve are the largest yeah, and, and we're currently working with um, two other entities, for-profit private universities. I can't release the names, but of course, they're going to be similarly um, being absorbed into our second program, which is the um, distribution program. And we're growing. I would say this organization started in 2020, Jan- uh, June. And now we have about seven campuses we serve with over 5,000 students monthly. Wonderful. Yeah. That's wonderful that you are really growing. And it's such a great service. And now, how can awareness be raised, first of all, just around food insecurity and college students, but, it may, but really more importantly for the students themselves that are experiencing this? And you had mentioned, and this is a, it's a fact, that there is a stigma around it and People are unfortunately ashamed of asking for help or admitting that they need help. How can how can outreach be done to get more people to Involved. yeah information about it and you know get the students to to know that there there's help for them? You know, it's a really difficult question. <laughs> um, on a personal level, um, when I work with universities, the the campuses have their own uh, way of doing an outreach. They can be either uh, social media, of course, or a a partnership between one department to another and the website, of course. On a major scale, it's a little difficult. Um, I'm going to give a lot of credit to the media because they have been covering this uh, topic for the past year. And the more we read it, the more we find out the situation, the issue around food insecurity among college students. And for the students who are on campus, trust me, many of them do not know that there's resources available. Mm -hmm. So what we do, we try to do advertising, for example, uh, through Facebook or Instagram, right? And we encourage our partners that we work with have their own outreach initiatives. For example, having a pop-up 
when you have a pop-up, it tells the college student, hey, you know what, this resource is available, it's right on that corner, around the corner, so you can utilize this. And a bright example, just recently with one of the universities that I work with, they had only month, I, I would say monthly, about 110 students, sometimes even less, 80 students utilizing the resource. But then students come in and students talk about the program with the, their peers, talk about with their instructors, instructors talk in the class. So this specific university we work with has grown to be about 650 in the past four month period from 80. So, oh wow. It takes one person to introduce the program and then that person will introduce the program to the rest. So in, in one college that we work with, instructors come during our pop-ups to, to know, to learn a little bit about the program and they actually talk about it in their class. Oh, that- For now, it seems like we reach that level the college students within this university, within these entities we support, they all know about the program. It's a win for the student because that's our goal to make sure they know to come and to take whatever they are uh, in need of. Mm-hmm. So we have the food, we have the, the team that I can work with, but we currently need that specific location where we can have not only food traffic, but also palletizing food for each individual school. Now it's on the go. (laughs) We move from one place to pick up, we drop off, and then we go to another place, we pick up and drop off. It's a little bit of a work, but Mm -hmm. once we have a hub, we call it SLB hub, um, they would give more opportunities to support more colleges, more students. So similar to a food pantry, but for for students. Yeah. That they can come to. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. That's correct. And how can people get involved or help out? Do you accept donations? It looks like on your website, you accept donations and volunteers. That is correct. Since Student Lunchbox is um, doing only a pop-up for one campus, uh, we always want to have that opportunity for a lot of volunteers to, to get involved with. Currently, we're working for 2023 calendar um, to make sure that dates are correct when it comes to, you know, food distribution. So that's one way. Another way, we always look for volunteers. Currently, all of my team members are volunteers. There's a lot of opportunity within the organization. If somebody is really, truly interested in supporting the mission, they can always contact me. We have so many projects in place that can be tackled on. But ongoing, like a hands-on would be the the opportunity to come to one of our pop-ups and actually experience the joy that Student Lunchbox brings to a lot of students and feel how it is felt by other students. One of the things that you personally would appreciate to see when you are involved with actual food distribution. We have a lot of high school students coming and helping us. And the great part of it, they bring donations with them. Uh, they can bring supplies, hygiene things, you know, hygiene products. Um, I have students on campus approaching us, telling that their families have farms, 
or gardens that they can, uh, um, you know, harvest a lot of things that they don't need or they cannot really utilize and bring it to student lunchbox during the pop-ups, you know. So there's so many ways. I guess the true opportunity would open up once we have a centralized location where everyone is going to be a family. Everyone is a family right now, but hands-on experience, choosing between the produce, which is good, which is bad, you know, um, sorting them between uh, different schools. And, and then within that process, everyone knows which school takes what types of produce, because we have a lot of produce there specific to Asian population. A lot of people don't know about those. So mm-hmm. certain universities take those. Certain universities are mainly focused on on-the-go meals. It's it's really fulfilling, I would say. And once we have a location, I would love you to join, by the way. <laughs> I would love to. I would love to. Yes. I'll keep in touch because I, w- I would love to help out, especially when you have the hub. I'm not too far. I'm in Orange County. So it's that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I come to LA a lot. So that would be wonderful. And I did have one other question before I ask about your contact information. So on your website, you mentioned that it all your organization also helps with food waste. And I'm assuming that's when you're getting donations from food that's still good. Sometimes <laughs> stores mm-hmm. or other outlets will have food that's perfectly good, but maybe it doesn't look perfect, like some of the imperfect produce. Is is that some of what you do? That is correct. At the end of the day, if the distributor or a grocery store or a you know, baker does not distribute or does not sell the product, they give it to us. With that, we give them a tax incentive, right? What that means is we weigh the product and then we give them a certain dollar amount as a tax write-off. So it actually benefits a lot of the small stores or small vendors. And then that food that could have been gone into the trash or a landfill, right? goes directly to the students. So it's a one way of making sure there's large quantities of produce, including veggies, fruits, bread, um, pastries. They're not wasted. And another thing what we do is with one of our universities that has that actually receives the most um, of the greens and fruits, they have a composting. So all that we take is not great they separate it and they compost it and they utilize it for their community garden, which is incredible. I mean, imagine if we had this <laughs> throughout the California and mm-hmm. the opportunity is huge, but it's costly. That's one of the things this school that I work with is very robust in their operations. So they're really grateful. Whatever I don't need, I can't utilize. They will take it and they will compost it. So nothing goes to waste with us. And, and other pantries, of course. That's wonderful. A lot of people don't know that. And it's 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 great because it's you're doing two services. Basically, you're servicing people with food insecurity and you're helping, like you said, the, the, the tax write-off, that, well, the environment mm-hmm. and also, it's actually three, the environment and <laughs> some of the, the organizations that right. get some, a tax write-off, the smaller outlets. Mm-hmm. So once we grow... We're looking forward to working with the composting um, organizations, of course, nonprofits, right? We want to support nonprofits in this uh, environment. And what they do is they will either come and pick up for you or we will deliver it to them. And at the end of the day, there is nothing goes to waste. Campuses can take so much, only not all the time. It's something that the universities need to work on. We just want to focus on hunger first and then we'll (laughs) move forward with the food waste later. 
It's wonderful. And you're doing so, doing so many wonderful things. So how can people find out more about you? What is your your website and social media? Our main content that is available, including news, is going to be Instagram. It's going to be SLB, Student Lunchbox Community. Or if they look for Student Lunchbox, they will see our logo in the organization. And uh, the website would be studentlunchbox.org. And within the website, they can actually click on the social media and it will redirect them to the social media page. Also, there is an email info at studentlunchbox.org and a phone number that I am always available to answer. <laughs> and um, yeah, that's, I mean, we're in, a, we're in a very open space when it comes to our website. So once people visit our website, everything else will be easy to find. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Carlin, for joining me today. Is there anything else you wanted to mention to our listeners before we sign off? No, but I would say that we are a very small charitable organization, but my promise to you is that one day you'll see our van in your neighborhood or in your campus. So that's my promise to you. <laughs> wonderful. That's wonderful. We hope that will definitely happen. I think it will happen mm -hmm. and we'll see it everywhere. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Carlin, for joining pleasure. me today. And I hope you have a wonderful evening. Thank you so much, Don. You too. Susan, you remember the time we were in Orange County? We were driving around and we got lost. And we ran into this place called Avila's El Ranchito. You remember the place? The place had awesome decor and authentic margaritas. Did you know that Avila's El Ranchito has been around since 1966? They have 13 locations throughout Orange County. Visit Salvador Avila's location in Lake Forest and Foothill Ranch for great food, ambiance, and specialty margaritas. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. Please consult a physician or other health professional before undertaking changes in lifestyle or wellness habits. The author claims no responsibility to any person or entity for any liability, loss, or damage caused or alleged to be caused directly or indirectly as a result of use, application, or interpretation of the information presented herein.